Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Philippians chapter 3, the priceless value of knowing Christ. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Pressing toward the goal, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything 
under his control. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. That's what I like. I like when you talk to me. How's everybody doing? Excellent, excellent. We're in the book of Philippians. Um, Pastor Jerome has been doing an awesome, awesome job thus far. Uh, and I just come to say that I agree. I came to say, me too. Um, and I just want to add to that, and we're going to go into Philippians chapter 3. It's already been read, um, so we're just going to dig right in uh, and see what God has to say. Uh, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you uh, for it's through the foolishness of preaching uh, that men are saved and women and children are saved. And so we thank you, Father, for the preached word. Uh, we ask, Father, that you increase I decrease in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 3, it's already been read for you. Um, as we know, um, it is authored by Paul uh, with an overarching message of joy for the purpose of instilling Christ's mindset of servanthood. And so the authorship is attributed to Paul, even though uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, there is mention of both Paul and Timothy. Um, the use of the first person I throughout the letter clearly indicates uh, the singular authorship through Paul. The overarching message of the entire book is joy. Paul's desire is for the people of God to live in the joy of the Lord and his kingdom rather than reacting to circumstances. This joy consists of internal stability in the midst of or in spite of external circumstances. Paul was uniquely qualified to teach on this subject because he wrote the book from a jail cell. So if you can imagine Paul being incarcerated for crimes none other than teaching and preaching Christ and him crucified, and yet, in the midst of being incarcerated, in the midst of being locked up for the teaching of Jesus, he still remains in a joyful attitude. Unlike us sometimes where, okay, well, I'll speak for me. Uh, unlike me sometimes when I'm in the midst of situations that may even feel like I'm in prison in my mind, yet and still, Paul was able to be in the midst of those situations and still have joy. The purpose of Philippians, while partly a thank you letter to the church at Philippi, 
was also a charge for them to bring the mindset of Christ into the church. That is, the mindset of servanthood. And so it's with that servant attitude that Paul is still able, with joy, to address the church at Philippi in this season while he's there. And so the first thing that he deals with in verse 1, he tells them to rejoice in the Lord. This is something Paul constantly reminded them of. He let them know that this was not a trouble for him, but rather it was a safeguard for them. Tony Marita said, Christ followers are the only band that tours singing the same song. And if you think about that, regardless of what church you go to, regardless of where you are, you're hearing, should be hearing, the same message over and over again. The gospel being preached, uh, being sung, you should be hearing that same thing, that same message, regardless of the messenger but that same message is being preached. That same message is repetitiously being fed to us. We can't be reminded enough to rejoice in Jesus even when things are bad. So when those situations or circumstances happen in your life, where do your roots grip? Do they grip on the solid rock, which is Christ our Lord? Or do they grip on things? Do they grip on your social or economic status? Do they grip on your accolades and your degree? Where do your roots grip? Verse 2, so he begins to tell them to beware of false and unclean teachers or beware of the dogs that look out for Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In biblical times, dogs were considered unclean animals. Paul was warning them not against physical animals, but rather against unclean teachers and false teachers. Uh, In Paul's time, it was a group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were a source of frustration for Paul. Because they were Jews who maintained that the Old Testament law was to be kept in order to receive salvation and sanctification. They undermined the truth of the gospel, which is a message of grace, by spreading a message of faith and works as a means of getting and maintaining right standing with God. Now, I was at a church, I told this uh, story during first service. I was at a church in Chicago, and they were uh, having a revival. The preacher was ministering the gospel, did an awesome job, gave an awesome message, uh, and several people came to the altar uh, for prayer and also to give their lives to the Lord. And there's this one particular young lady who um, had tears streaming down her face. I could just remember the tears coming down her, her face. And she had on jeans. Now, why is that relevant? Because the church believed that women should not wear pants in the church. Now, I would love to see him come in here and fall out in the floor. (laughs) 
because we know different. <laughs> and so the young lady comes up to the altar. She's, she's crying. She's ready to give her life to the Lord. He goes through the sinner's prayer, and he, in the process of leading her to Christ, also asks her, by the way, will you follow the church's rules of not wearing pants in the church? Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world. But I've looked through scripture enough, and I didn't find where there was a prerequisite for salvation that required a certain wardrobe. Maybe in the Old Testament, right, the priests and the Levites, they came into the temple, they had their garments and and all of those different things. But in my recollection, when Christ died on the cross, the veil of the temple rent in two. And so any system of theology that says our standing with God must be earned is a system to beware of. If there's a prerequisite that I need to dress a certain way or I need to look a certain way to maintain right standing with God, something is wrong because it goes against everything that we have learned in Scripture, which declares to us that while things like fellowship, fellowshipping with the body of believers, studying God's word, praying and giving are biblical things and they should be done, they do not earn us right standing with God. Salvation is a free gift. We are saved by grace through faith. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, confess with him that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved according to scripture. So there is no prerequisite no matter what you're wearing. And that's why we say all races, all faces, you belong here. You can come here because there is no prerequisite for your right standing with God. Religion, in fact, sometimes can weigh us down because it never tells us we've done enough. It doesn't allow for such an end. The law as given to Moses was not designed to bring the children of Israel to right standing, but to bring them to the end of themselves and a dependency on God for their right standing. The law was never designed to bring them into right standing. The law was never designed to do what Christ did. What it does is it points to Christ and it gives them a roadmap to say, listen, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of man? But thanks be unto God for Christ Jesus, our Lord, who was able on the cross to do away with and fulfill the law so that we could live in grace. We are made righteous by God through the righteousness of his son, Jesus. Salvation is achieved by grace, not works. And so Paul goes on to teach them about the difference between false teachers and true followers of Jesus. The Judaizers 
relied on their works instead of Jesus and highlighted the ritual of circumcision. And even today, there are some that maintain there are prerequisites to salvation. Exhibit A, the pastor that told the young lady she couldn't wear pants in church. Don't even understand that. Paul addressed this by saying that the true circumcision is those who understand their relationship with God happens through worship by the Spirit of God or relating to God by his standard and not our own. And so when we come to Christ, we're coming to him under the standard of God. So the standard was set by the law. We recognize that we could not keep the law no matter how we tried. And through time, from eternity, God sent a lamb called Jesus that in the fullness of time, he would die, live on on earth, but then die, suffer, be bruised, crucified, and then resurrected for our sanctification and justification. True Christ followers know that they can do nothing on their own to become who they are supposed to be as a Christian. Doing so nullifies God's work in our lives, but our boasting and our glory is in Christ Jesus with no confidence in the flesh or our own devices. Paul then goes on to give his resume, or as I like to call it, Paul's prolific pedigree for the proud. It's not a tongue twister. I don't know why I wrote it like that. It just sounded cool, so I put that down. But Paul gives us his resume in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so he begins to list all of his different accolades and all of the things that would qualify him as before Christ to be able to glory in his own accomplishments. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee. He was one that created and wrote laws. He knew the law back and forth. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whoa. Sounds impressive, right? If we place our confidence in anything but Christ, we will find it challenging, even impossible, to rejoice in times of trouble. Paul gave an impressive argument as to why he would have reason to have confidence in his accomplishments before Christ. But if we have confidence in those things, we have nothing as a foundation. Our foundation is unsure. And when the wind blows and the fire comes, we'll find our, those things around us, we'll find our house in trouble. The key to internal stability in the face of external circumstances is placing our confidence in Christ alone. I'll say that again. 
the key to internal stability, internal stability in the face of external circumstances is placing our confidence in Christ alone. When I find myself in trouble, my degree doesn't help me. When I find myself in trouble, my accolades for, I've been playing drums since I was three years old. Got in drum lessons, played in high school, won all kinds of awards. My, my wife, as a witness, we were in high school together, and we were in band together. We've traveled to Florida for competitions, and we've done so many different things. I got an award when I was there. I won a, a Grammy competition at DePaul University and won a set of symbols for my school, got a box of sticks, got trophies, got all of these accolades, and none of them matter if I don't know Christ. Paul says, if we go on to verse 9, or verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Former treasure is trash in light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And he's not just talking about the bad things. He's not talking about suffering the loss of the bad. So bad things happen and he suffered loss. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying he suffers the loss of all things. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. I forget all of it for the sake of knowing Christ. He outlines what a kingdom perspective looks like. Christ's value is greater than anything we had, have, or will experience, good and bad. So no matter what happened to me prior to Christ, It pales in comparison to his value. Intimately knowing Christ, Christianity is not merely religion. It is driven by a relationship. Our goal and passion should be knowing Christ. All of our works in our Christ walk are only valid if knowing Christ is the goal. So it doesn't matter what we do within the church, that it's great. Trust me, all of the things that we do as servants is good. It's what we should do as servants. But if the end game is not knowing Christ, then it's futile. The end game should be knowing Christ and being found in him told a story um, during the first service. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we met in high school. Uh, we actually met in middle school. Uh, we dated in high school, uh, and then we went our separate ways, and God brought us back together in 2008. We became friends again, and we b- began talking again, and 
in 2010, we started dating again. And then I decided that I wanted to go. I mean, I knew even before then. I actually knew in high school, uh, but situations and circumstances. Sometimes your parents can get in the way. That's my testimony. It might not be yours, but that's my testimony. My mom was so overprotective of me. We, <laughs> don't get yourself in trouble, man. You got you to gotta hold that. You got to hold that. Um, but my, my wife and I, you know, we were sitting at my house watching the Cosby show. Now, in my mind, I knew that my mom had a rule that nobody was supposed to be over the house when she wasn't there. But it was the summertime, and I was grown um, as a freshman, as a freshman. And I didn't tell my girlfriend that she wasn't supposed to come over to the house when my mother wasn't there. So she shows up on her bike um, looking all beautiful and stuff. And I'm like, hey, I'm sitting here watching TV. Why don't you just come in for a quick second? You know, because in my mind, my, my mom doesn't get home from work until about 5 p.m. It's like 12.30 or something like that. It's like afternoon. You know, she had lunch. She'd come on by, and we sit down. We're watching the Cosby show, and then the lock turns. You, 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 you know, you, yeah, you get that frog in your throat. you like, you can't swallow. Yeah, that happened. But suffice it to say, you know, I had a part in that as well, but I said all of that to say that over time, God brought us back together, and I knew that I wanted more than just a surface relationship with her. She's special. She's beautiful. Very beautiful. She's multi-talented, plays different instruments. I know y'all have seen her up here. It's like, oh, this week she's got the flute. Oh, this week she's got a saxophone. Oh, wait, she's singing. Okay, oh, she's rapping. Oh, oh wait, oh, oh, today she's got a guitar with her. Oh, okay, okay, all right, yeah, yeah. And so I saw all of these things, and I wanted a deeper relationship with her. And so I decided to put a ring on it because I wanted to take the relationship further. What am I saying? That is the long-winded way of saying that our goal and our passion should be to know him. It's deeper than just coming to church. Coming to church is great, and coming to church will net you a community of people that can help you. But there is an intimacy with Christ when you are alone in your room, and things may be going good, things may be going bad. But you know what? Whatever is happening, you can talk to him. Through prayer, you can talk to him. And in talking to him, it's through those communications over the phone and via email and via text message when that became available. We were able to talk and we were able to communicate and our relationship was able to grow. So it is in the spirit. If you don't talk to God, how can the relationship develop? If we don't spend time in his word, how can the relationship develop? And so Paul addresses, though he thanked them for their spiritual gifts and being 
monetarily a blessing to him for his ministry, he did want to tell them, listen, the, you, you have to have this mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Intimately knowing Christ means also being acquainted with suffering. Things won't be perfect. I know that, you know, some people tell you that giving your life to Christ was, you know, it, it was great and it was a bed of roses. And that might be their testimony. That might be what they needed to go through. But that wasn't mine. Giving my life to Christ especially at the age that I did, at 16 years old, in high school, where that wasn't the norm, it might look like being uncomfortable. It might look like losing some friends. But I count all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as rubbish dung, the stuff that goes into the toilet. I count it as that. Like, they were real nice with this translation, but the real translation of that word is that stuff. I count it as that for the excellency of knowing Christ. He goes on to say, verse 12, I got to hurry along here. Verse 12, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm so glad that he included this. Because some people may see people on a platform. You might see Pastor Jerome or pastors at other churches or people that have been in the faith for a, a long time, and you might see them and think, that they've got it all together. And Paul clues them in on a little secret. I've been traveling all around this area preaching Christ, and I've not already attained it. I know him, but there is more to know. They, they call it the manifold wisdom of God. Ma manifold, manifold. So if you take a piece of paper and you fold it all the way down to a little bitty piece, when you open it up, there's, there's levels or there's, there's different pockets. And just when you think you've got it, you open up another fold. And just when you think you've got it, you open up another fold. And just when you think you've got it, you open up another fold to say that there is deeper. Even if you are a teacher or you are a babe in Christ, there is more to the relationship than what is now. And if you keep living and you keep going, you can reach full maturity. Not every leader has made it. Paul makes it clear. Not as though I've already attained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it mine because Christ has made me his. God has taken hold of us for a purpose. He grabbed us for a purpose. We came to a saving knowledge of Christ for a purpose. And that purpose then becomes the catalyst, then becomes the focal point, the prize for which we press towards. Paul is not satisfied with where he is. His holy discontent brings him to a resolution to forget what is behind him and reach to what is ahead of him. It's hard to see your future when you're staring at your past. 
if you're steadily looking behind you, good or bad, because the reality is your accomplishments are your accomplishments and they're good, but they've happened and there's more. And what God would want to say to us today out of this text is that there is more than what you've accomplished. There's more than your failures. There is more. And if you come closer to me, I am able to take you to the prize that I saved you for. And so Paul, recognizing that, says, I want to grab hold of that which God grabbed a hold of me for. Worship team, if you want to make your way. We must forget the good, the bad, and the ugly. It is not that we don't remember our past, but it's that our past does not control our lives. So in forgetting, it's not that we don't remember, but we lay that down, we lay that aside for the excellency of knowing Christ. Having a forward focus and pressing on is the way to get over your yesterday. In the first service, I said, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Then, of course, somebody pulled out Facebook. Yeah, yes, it is. Here, there's this picture. I was like, okay, anything else you want to add? <laughs> but the reality is you can't, you can, you can pull it behind the hearse. But once they lower your body down, even if they put all that stuff with you, it's just going to sit there and rot. If it's biodegradable, maybe it'll biodegrade. But that's about all. There's nothing else that you can take with you. And so we forget those things that are behind and we reach to those that are before them. We press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Two more points and then I'm going to let you go. In verses 15 through 17, Paul describes true discipleship. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in, and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in you. Hold true and live out that which you have attained. True discipleship holds true and lives out that which you have attained. You don't have to know the Bible cover to cover. But the little that you know, live that. Live that out in your family. Live that out in your community. Live that out in front of your children. Live that out in front of your parents. The little that you know, that that you have attained, live that. And then follow and imitate those who are following Christ's example. 
and he gave us a measuring rod in his word. The last thing, remember where your citizenship is. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Say, our citizenship is in heaven. Say it again. Our citizenship is in heaven. One more time for me. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul didn't want their earthly experience to cloud their heavenly citizenship. I would say to you, don't let your earthly experience cloud your heavenly citizenship. We are ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is. Our citizenship is not here, but our citizenship is with Christ in heaven. We are to focus on the returning king and his kingdom and not this world and its lesser kingdoms. Stand with me. That's Philippians 3. And there may be someone here who is wanting to know Christ more. Would you please come? We want to pray with you. The worship team is going to sing a little bit of this song. And we're going to pray and dismiss. But I want you to come. If you're here and if you're wanting a deeper relationship with Christ, we want to pray with you. Worship team. Father, 
for your children. These are your children. We are your children. And Father, we collectively want to know you more. We echo Paul's words and we suffer the loss of all things that we may know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your suffering. We declare, Father, that we want an out-of-body experience with you. Out-of-the-box experience, excuse me. We want an out-of-the-box experience. We want to know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your suffering. And so, Father, we pray that you would meet us today. As we leave this place, Father, we pray, God, that everything that we do is with the end result to know you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, City Life. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you again same time next week, 10 o'clock and 11.30. All races, all faces, you belong here. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.